Hello and welcome back to another installment of the Bracken Outdoors podcast. This is one of our longer episodes and also a return of the much-loved interview shows. So today I'm interviewing Emma Wood. Emma has a diverse background in the outdoors, from starting a career as a multi-activity instructor, centre manager, qualified secondary teacher, to now being an educational visits advisor, CIC director and forest school leader. Emma brings together her experience in all things outdoor, combined with a passion for connecting people with their green spaces and other great humans, or the focus on improving well-being through nature connection. Today we have a fantastic conversation on mental health, uh, putting the community in community interest company, how to look after the parents during of your children during forest school sessions, building supportive session structures for young families, and how to obtain funding for your forest school sessions. This is a really great interview and one that I know you'll enjoy a whole lot. So without any further ado, we'll jump straight into it. Emma, welcome to the Bracken Outdoors podcast. Thank you very much for having me along. Yes, it's great to talk to you. It's great that we were able to talk in person because I mean, some of the many of these um, activities and things that we do these days are just online and you just kind of look at a screen isn't the same as meeting someone actually in person. And thankfully we're out of the weather today, which is quite blustery and windy. We've still got the... Is it still Storm Isha? I'm not sure. I think we've moved into the second one now. But yeah, it's a good day to actually be inside doing something like this rather than out on site, for sure. Uh, it feels like we've gone through half the alphabet in storms in the last couple <laughs> of months. So it's really good Good to be indoors, but no doubt we'll, we'll be both be outdoors before long. So... You've got you've got quite an interesting background in this. Uh, Go ask um, where what started all off. What was the kind of process to get where you are now? Yeah, so I've got quite a diverse background, uh, but started working in the outdoor industry when I was nineteen. So took a year out from school, went and did a bit of travelling, and I got a job with a company training to be a multi-activity instructor so went and spent a few months down on the south coast um, delivering multi-activity holiday sessions to school kids uh, and I absolutely loved it so that was my first introduction to working outside trained as an apprentice for kind of that few months period and that's when I kind of got the bug for being outside working with young people and um, just really enjoyed the community that that brought as well. Um, From that went off to do um, a degree at uni, kind of floated around a bit, changed courses a few times but finished doing a degree in outdoor activities with education training and development. So knew that the kind of outdoor education background was always something that I really wanted to do Um, unfortunately I had a really bad wrist injury whilst I was at uni so ended up having to have a couple of operations to get my wrist working again so I think even by that time I was in my early 20s realized that maybe just a pure career (laughs) in the outdoors doing all that adventurous stuff wasn't kind of the way forward for me at that time so had had a big interest in education teaching sort of what young people could get from experiencing outdoor education life beyond the classroom so trained as a teacher um 
Biology was always my passion when I was at school, loved the sciences, so converted my degree um, through doing a year up in Cumbria, again close to sort of all of the mountains and hills and water up there, and yeah, trained as a science teacher and then spent the next sort of decade in secondary science teaching, worked my way up through to head of subject and head of faculty and had a real passion for developing other staff as well. Within that time, I did an awful lot of educational visits, took students out and about wherever I could, um, spent a month in Borneo with a group with World Challenge doing mountain climbing. Uh, what else did we do? We went to the orangutans, uh, we did some whitewater rafting, and all of that meant that I could take back to the classroom that love of getting students linking what they were doing in class with how the real world worked. My kind of journey took uh, a bit bit of a different turn when my children um, came along. So I had twins and they were born at 28 weeks. They were born really early. So obviously took a bit of time out of work then, but um, the trauma around their birth and their kind of early life, they spent an awful lot of time in hospital, had a really negative impact on my mental health and I developed post-traumatic stress from that. So found it a really difficult transition then when I went back into work. Um, still went into teaching, um, was still kind of leading a faculty at that, at that time, but the pressures kind of just became a bit too much. I couldn't really get the balance, but every week I would take my, gosh then, 18-month-old uh, twin boys out every week to the forest, to a little forest school provision locally. And I just knew that there was something really important about being outside about being in nature especially in the winter when we just kind of want to hibernate and thankfully with really good um, mental health support realizing the things that kind of brought me joy like recovered kind of came out of the PTSD which was really good and that then really set me on a different path so I came out of teaching I trained to be able to to deliver first aid for mental health and then not really too long after, we had, uh, we had the pandemic. So everybody was inside, isolated. And around me, I saw lots of families, lots of parents, lots of mums really struggling with that isolation. And I think a lot of people really reconnected with trying to get outside when we had that golden hour where we could go out for those, yeah. <laughs> those walks wherever we could um, and realised that... I had the skills and the passion to sort of hold a space for people in the outdoors where we really looked after the parents and their well-being by getting them out into nature. But the way of doing that was through holding kind of um, kind of children's forest school. So trained as a forest school leader during the pandemic. And that kind of complements the work that I do now as an educational visit advisor as well. So I can help bring that expertise to the schools that we work with. Um, and from, from all of that, our community interest company was born. So it's called the Outdoor Club CIC and our groups are called Muddy Toes. So we run weekly outdoor groups to focus on um, getting young people into the outdoors. But with that real holistic approach of supporting the adults as well so we make them hot drinks we feed them cake we keep the kids entertained and have that kind of gentle introduction into how they can spend time outside 
get all the benefits from being out in nature without necessarily feeling too pressured as well. And we've kind of extended that provision to um, older children. We run holiday clubs and we do forest school and um, we run an outdoor club at the local infant school, which is just a few hundred metres that way. So, yeah, quite a diverse sort of um, road to where we got here. Maybe not the most traditional route, but currently kind of spend my time managing our CIC but also as an educational visit advisor so all sort of related to the outdoors really. Yeah I, I find most most people in the outdoors have, have taken a, a kind of twist twist and turny path to to get to where they are but I think I, I've said it before that that I think all of the skills were preparation for something and you tend to come back to the skills you develop early on so no part of the journey is wasted and you definitely gain something along the way. I think that's so true. And I think working out the bit that kind of really sparks joy in you as well and just kind of holding on to that and working out ways that you can kind of get more of that into your day or your career or whatever it is that you want to do is really important. And, and you find your unique niche that you're qualified to, like you were talking about, being able to hold space and that being uniquely necessary then and still more now is fantastic example of that we we do find it's as important now as it was you know just as we were coming out of the pandemic um it was really lovely especially with those first cohorts um that they were able to build a really strong community through having that shared experience of being outside with like quite young babies as well and as they've got older kind of that's where our provision has increased as well and I think right now there's been so much more research into the importance of being outside how our well-being is intrinsically linked to um, the seasons and how we connect with nature and I think there's much more education um, around that so people are more aware that outside is good for us and of course with young people as well we know that there are issues with young people maybe not having the freedom to play as much as they used to um being in screen in front of screens much more than perhaps we ever were as children and i think parents are really conscious of that so forest schools outdoor play all of that has got um, as much of a need now as it did 50 years ago if anything maybe more because we know that we don't get as much of it in our natural provision yeah i well i well, really like uh, and struck me as i'm glad we, we were talking about it now was when i was looking through um the things of your website and through social media and everything else the emphasis you put on looking after the parents as well because so i think a lot of us do this but we don't overtly talk about it it's kind of like COVID <laughs> thing like like we try we Bring the parent we bring the children in and their parents come with and then we we try and look after the parents as well because because we want to be inclusive and everything else and and then often when you get a group of parents together you, you start realizing the value there that they're outside gives them an excuse to come outside because they might not personally feel justified in taking the time to go out to the park because they need it but they will definitely go out if it's for their children and that that kind of supportiveness is really valuable. I mean, I I focus on it a lot because I do a lot of work with home education family, home educating families, and obviously they don't have 
parents are their, their own little school, their own little household, and they don't usually have the interaction with other groups, where this really brings them together. I think so, and I think the outdoor provision is, is a really important um, method and vehicle for, for adults to gain just as much. I find with my own children that they see me... Uh, purposefully spending time outside like purposefully going out for walks purposefully spending time in nature and that really instills in them that actually that's a good thing to do that it's important to look after ourselves to get exercise to spend time outside to kind of not be cooped up indoors all the time and I think within the forest school um, movement especially that it's something that I'd like to see much more of as well it's lovely that we do have such a focus on the children and how much they benefit from having access to the kind of play that they do within woodlands and outside spaces and I do think it can be overlooked how important it is for those adults as well um, we know as well from speaking to all of our families and I know from my own experience that actually what I needed in my recovery um, when I had my um, mental health trauma was kind of to be looked after and to have that space held for me and I do think sometimes that's all we need and forest school lends itself really nicely you kind of often sit around a campfire you'll often do something shoulder to shoulder so some crafts or some whittling or even just kind of stoking the fire and that simplicity helps build those relationships and there's a lot of healing that can happen with people just partaking participating in that really simple um activity yeah, as, as you were saying that i was just reminded that about half of the craft sessions that I, that I do the children will start something off and it'll be the parents that finish it yeah and then so we start off with all the children like oh yes they're into it and then about 20 minutes half an hour later it's three mothers sitting around on, on top doing finishing off their the child's dream catcher or God's eye craft or whatever, and then the children are off running through yeah. the woods. It's so true, and it's it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, that's a, that's a really important activity for the children and for the adults as well. I think we've always found, even with our um, tiny babies group, you know, we've had some that have come along when they've been just a few weeks old. And actually, of course, the babies get so much from it. They're out in nature. You don't need mobiles and all these toys. They've got the trees to look at and the clouds and they've got all the different sensations of the wind and the sunlight. But actually for those adults, having something to do with their hands that they can focus on helps them actually break down those barriers and have those conversations that they might not have if they were just sat across from each other um, so that that in itself is a really important element of what we do and we do that really consciously um, this year so sort of over the last 12 months I've done a few courses with uh, the adventure therapy and the therapeutic forest and it's been really nice to develop my skills and kind of know and realise that a lot of the provision we put in place is based in really good evidence from that psychology um, perspective and that actually they're, they're really well-known therapeutic um, ways of supporting people with their, with their health and well-being as well. So what would you say are, are the kind of main ways that, that you're really intentional about cre creating this, this positive space and supporting the parents? 
So we, we're intentional right the way from the way that we market what we do. So from um, the wording and the language that we use on social media to how we describe our sessions when they come to the booking page. We first of all say to families that they are free to arrive when kind of works for them. I've been part of sessions before where, you know, we start reading a story at 10 o'clock and then we do this activity and this activity. And I find actually when you've got really young children, that doesn't always work. And that pressure that it puts on families can be really stressful. So the way we set our provision up is that they have... um, free play when they arrive so whatever time they arrive down at our woodlands that's when they arrive they can't be late they're always offered a hot drink as soon as they arrive and we have kind of travel cups that they have and we do everything from teas and coffees we make sure that we have decaf because we know a lot of breastfeeding mums you know need to limit their caffeine and we also do a really indulgent hot chocolate where we have cream and marshmallows as well and even just that simple gesture of making someone a hot drink that is also in a takeaway cup so it stays hot for longer we know as parents that actually you make a hot cup of tea you come back to it 15 minutes later and it's stone cold and you know there's something really comforting I've got my cup here like there's something really comforting about holding a cup in your hands it helps you to center yourself and you know it's lovely it's that little gesture of being looked after so from the moment they arrive at sessions and they have their hot drinks the kids instantly can make their choices about what they do so whether that's playing in the mud kitchen it's going to kind of swing on the hammocks or maybe doing one of the craft activities and we we don't necessarily force them into how they play in those spaces we do say that for all of our sessions that it's the it's the parents that supervise them which then means that our forest school practitioners can be there to work kind of one-to-one or with small groups if we're doing any tool work or anything like that that needs a bit more supervision so when they arrive they've got that free play we then have like snack all together we've got a lovely big bench where we have our outdoor provision um so it's kind of the width of two usual benches so we can fit the majority of our children and toddlers around there and we we kind of serve them a snack so they have like a bit of a buffet on the table so everything from um bananas and apples and raisins to biscuits or maybe cakes last week it was really cold so we did everybody um Weetabix with hot milk and a bit of honey because we had a Winnie Winnie the Pooh theme and I don't profess to be a real forest school purist because I look first of all at what our community need and then provide them with those invitations to play and they do really love it when it is around a theme so of course all the Julia Donaldson books are a big hit things like um, Room on the Broom and Zog um, and it was the first time we'd done Winnie the Pooh and we do trails around the park as well so after we've kind of had snack all together and they've had that experience of eating communally um, you know learning how to learn those almost like table manners in what's a really relaxed setting when they're finished they can then go off and play but it tends to be after the snack we'll then do maybe a bit more of a structured activity which they can join in if they want to or they don't so that might be reading a story but it's usually a little trail around our little woodland it only takes about 10 minutes if you're an adult walking around in a loop 
but they love it because it invites them to look at how that space changes over time and encourage them very gently to start seeing how the space changes through the seasons as well as that then interaction with nature they'll hear the birds they'll see the stream they'll look at how the ponds changed over time and I think instilling all of that for the children but also for the adults that's why our our sessions I think work really well we've um we've got a really great group of people and we really make an effort to make a community as well so if we have new people that come to our sessions we always make a real effort of you know using their name but also introducing them to other people so kind of saying you know Sam welcome along this is Denise Denise has been here for a little while you know whereabouts do you live so trying to help start those conversations find common ground and just make it really really inclusive like kind of a family that you sort of want to be part of I I think that's that's amazing yes it it's it's something that I'm striving towards and working to be more conscious of because I re- realise, as you do, that, that you want to take care of the whole family and be more conscious about these things. And I really like the, the lesson flow you have there, that the session flow, should I say, where they kind of come in in their, their own time and then it's immediately into free play and that's almost like getting back into the rhythm of being outside maybe getting rid of some energy if they need to and just expressing themselves and then they can come around they get drawn in by food yeah. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't get drawn <laughs> in by food and then that that opens the space up for those activities that's a really lovely way to approach it I think because we mainly work with um, preschoolers, so we do our sessions mainly on a, a Thursday morning that's been our our core session um, that for that age group it works really well I mean we we when we do our sessions during the holidays where we have older older students come along they still really um, thrive in that kind of setup for our session plan as well and that we tend to only really do that structured activity or that invitation to some form of structural led activity after actually they've had a break and after they've had time like you say to get familiar with their space and work out where things are positioned work out who's here today what's the weather like actually do I want to be stood there over in the sun playing with the mud kitchen or do I want to be kind of in a little cozy area reading books and be away from people and of course that familiarity with how that session is set up but also the familiarity with the space that we use is really comforting for all of our children and our adults because we acknowledge that people have bad days and actually some days people need a bit of quiet time just to be in the hammock and actually some days they might need an extra cup of tea and someone to have a bit of a walk with just on their own. So all of our volunteers, all of our um, employed teams and our directors, they're all trained in first aid for mental health because we realise how important it is to have those conversations but also spot really early signs that someone might be having a bad time and actually they might really benefit from having some professional support. It was only through my own training to become 
a trainer to train other people in first aid for mental health that I realised that actually my my own difficulties started way before um, my boys were born. I was in a really high stress job. Um, I was a complete perfectionist in terms of teaching as well. But at the time, I thought the way that I was feeling was just part of being an adult. Like I'd stopped feeling joy. I felt quite anxious. I used to get really obsessed with like checking the weather. I mean, I'm still obsessed with checking the weather. I think we all are when you work outdoors, but um, I hadn't realized that actually they were early warning signs that I was developing, you know, signs of anxiety and signs of depression. And I think that's where our skills as practitioners working outside in what is a really, it's a non-judgmental space. There's so much freedom with being outside um people feel much more confident and comfortable to have those conversations where they maybe wouldn't open up if they were indoors so the skills that our practitioners have is <coughs> a gentle way okay it's okay as like a gentle way to sort of say well you know maybe if you if you haven't been sleeping or if you have been feeling this way for a while you know maybe do just go and have a chat with your gp and I think that's the other thing that we do really well is that because we we encourage all of our families to book for the block, you can then check in with them and say, you know, how are things going? So you've also got that supportive relationship with the practitioners, but also our families check in with each other as well. And that's one of the great things about the community is what they bring. Um, I'd be interested, if, if you're open to it, to talk a bit more about the mental health first aider. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've heard about it quite often, tossed around here and there, but I've never actually looked into how far it goes, what it kind of covers. Would you be able to give us an overview? Yeah, so the mental health quali- first aid for mental health qualification um it's uh, it's a formal qualification or it can be one that's done in-house but really it's about people being given the confidence and the skills to spot the early warning signs or if somebody is in distress it's being able to have those open conversations with people, checking in with how they are, asking them, you know, about what's going on, kind of can see you're in in distress, tell me a little bit about how you're feeling. What's really important about the um, first aid for mental health um, kind of approach is that none of us are expected to be experts, but it's about being able to give people the reassurance that, you know, they can feel better, that there's support out there but also then being able to signpost them forward. So about knowing perhaps what's in your local area, about recommending that people speak to, whether it's their health visitor or their GP, um, support lines such as the Samaritans as well. Um, There's some really startling statistics. It's something like one in four of us at any one time may may be experiencing poor mental health. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have mental illness, but it might mean that you're experiencing symptoms that can be linked with anxiety or depression and whilst the course goes through about what those signs and symptoms look like but also perhaps what some of those diagnosed um, mental health conditions might entail it's never about giving a diagnosis it's never about recommending medication but about just helping people be aware that maybe they could benefit from having some help some people just benefit from having that open conversation 
Um, but I think for all of us being able to have those open conversations, being able to ask what can be difficult questions as well. Um, but importantly, it's about knowing what to do with it. And of course, just looking after people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that's the big thing is is being able to catch when someone needs support in your group and you know that okay hey i need to take i need to distract this person's child for a bit so that they can sit down with a, a cup of tea and and watch the birds for yeah. a little while and and just knowing that they need that space or or they might be overwhelmed with this thing or that and and just being really open to noticing that Definitely. And for our provision, we work with a lot of volunteers. We're really lucky that we have um, volunteers kind of from our businesses and the local community that come down and they help with, you know, sometimes it is making the hot drinks for people. Sometimes it's about handing out the cake and just saying, you know, hey, how, how is it going? What, you know, how's your week been? And just having those conversations and checking in. And we find that having... Um, having those additional adults allows those adults to then have that time to really have those discussions. Um, so one of our long-standing volunteers um, actually overheard us talking about our groups in the local bakery and contacted us and said, there's something I really want to be part of. Can I come down? Can I help? Um, we also run as well a uh, couple clubs that have been funded from our local parish council um, and they're for anyone they were for anyone to kind of drop in for an hour down in the local green spaces just come and get a free cup of tea and, and a biscuit and actually it was through some of those sessions that some of our other volunteers came on board so we go through all the safer recruitment process with them. We get them all DBS checked. Um, we do an induction with them and get them trained up as well. And I think for our volunteers, it's about helping them feel part of the community. Um, we always really welcome them to suggest like session ideas or crafts. And quite often they find things on Pinterest or Instagram and go, oh, look at this, this really cute ladybird. Can we have a go at like bringing this into session? And we really value the feedback that they give as well. So we view what we do as a community interest company more than just um, the people that come along for sessions. It's from our key stakeholders. So the charities that we work with locally, the volunteers that are a real important part. We couldn't do what we do with our provision without them um, and that feeling of inclusiveness. Um, and it's really great as well when we get a lot of the dads come along, we get grandparents coming too. And I think for them as well, they always just say, oh, it's incredible having someone just make you a hot drink and, and feed you cake. And I think it's the simple things often that get overlooked um, kind of in what we do and that it's those simple acts of human kindness that really help people feel connected to, to what we're doing is that bigger picture. And the dogs as well, of course. <laughs> right on camera. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that probably kind of leads me into another avenue of questioning. That, and I think we've already started to answer it, is like, why a CIC? What, what, what kind of developed that? Yeah, so... I will be totally honest, when we first set up, uh, we were called the Outdoor Education Space, which the letters were T-O-E-S, which is where Muddy Toes came from. 
um, because I knew that I wanted to do something that needed that kind of security of knowing that there was sort of a business model behind it. So when we first set up, I invested a bit of my own money to kind of get those um, initial resources, cover the insurance, all that sort of stuff. And then we realised that actually what what we wanted to do with the organisation was um, was not going to be affordable for everybody. We knew, you know, COVID had had a really big impact on families and we've seen that even more in the last 18 months that um, families are really struggling to afford to heat their homes and feed themselves. So we knew actually that the model that we wanted to move towards was one where we could access grants so that we could have subsidised sessions for our families. Um, so we converted to a CIC in that initial model but because we'd been limited by shares as a limited company we had to transfer to be a um, CIC limited by shares and because of that model it means you're really limited with the kind of funding pots that you can access. As a CIC that year we did access some really local local pots I think we managed to secure about £750 which was just incredible for us in that first year because it meant we could we could support so many families and and offer a really like a high quality provision as well like it wasn't you know just sort of standard tea bags and rubbish hot chocolate it's you know like chocolate with um, marshmallows and whipped cream kind of thing so after kind of doing that trial trial project that year and we we finished running sessions in the November when the weather started to turn um And we looked and I said to uh, a couple of friends, um, I said to kind of um, a distant relative as well, you know, I think I think I want to do this properly. I think we need to restructure. I think we need to be um, a particular kind of CIC. I think we need to be limited by guarantee. You know, we need to make sure that we've got the right number of directors so we can try and apply for some of the bigger funding pots. So with the support of um, two other directors, we formed the Outdoor Club CIC. So the Muddy Toes group still remained um, the name of our groups, but we changed the name of the company to the Outdoor Club. And it was by then creating the Outdoor Club with that structure that we were able to secure a £10,000 grant from National Lottery in 2022. Um, Again, a few more quite local grants. And then um, we've got another grant that's just about to come through in February for us to run a wellbeing project in the local woodlands as well. So the CIC model works really well for us because we never work to make a profit but we make sure that we pay our team fairly for the work that they do specifically those who are forest school trained who are teachers who have got that breadth and depth of um, understanding and of course with their additional training um, as a first aid for mental health um, practitioner as well so it means that we can access funding But it also means that we do work on a model where we have um, paid for tickets and we find that doing sessions where families do make a contribution towards the tickets helps them feel that there is real value in what we're doing. In the beginning, we did do some completely free sessions, but actually we found that families booked on, but they didn't always turn up because when you do things for free, people don't always see that there is a real value attached to it. So even with that kind of our language, we changed a little bit kind of rather than saying free sessions, 
they're fully subsidised sessions. So we know that the real cost behind our sessions is somewhere between maybe eight and ten pounds per family. But for the majority of the sessions that we do, we ask if they block book, but it's five pounds a session. And we find that that combined with funding pots that we have allows us to be accessible to as many families as possible, especially those who might be on um, maternity leave or have got quite young children where we know finances aren't always as free as they would like to be. So it's a good combination for us. It's We generate that income with, with kind of the ticket sales and the events, but then we always um, have the option when we have funding that comes through, we have um, tickets that are completely free as well. So on our booking system, when we have the lottery tickets, we had the option to pay as you feel. We had the option for tickets that were maybe £5 and then we had tickets that were also completely free as well. So people could make the decision about what they were able to afford and what value they placed on what we did without us then having to sacrifice the quality of the provision um, because we want families to know that what we're doing does have a real value to it and that it does take skill and knowledge and preparation and all that stuff as well that of course there has to be a value attached to that. Yeah, it, it's really worth emphasizing that that people will value things more, even if, if they have to, even if it's just a small contribution, and you you get more consistency because if it's a if it's a free session and they look out and they go, oh, it's a bit cloudy today, they they might decide to stay home. Yeah, it's a free session, but they've paid the five pounds, whatever child, they're more likely to get out and and gain the value and benefit being outside. Absolutely. And we see as well from lots of our families that we, um, you know, we talk about how important our volunteers are to us. So there's an option when they book, if they book for a term or book for a session, they can make um, a donation and buy our volunteers a cup of coffee. So at the end of kind of each term, if we've got any donations for those, we take our team out, our volunteer team out. We go and take them down to the bakery. We sit and have a hot drink together um, and we we pass that those donations directly on to our volunteers to say thank you because they also then see the value in what they're doing that they feel appreciated as well so we feel it's had overall a really positive impact not just on our families but actually on the wider community as well we're really lucky where we're located like whilst we're quite rural actually we've got three beautiful green spaces in our village that Lots of people don't even know that they're there. So I think the work that we do, which is using those public spaces, then allows people to feel that they have the confidence and the knowledge and they know it's there to then go and use it at other times as well, which helps then create better communities, better health all around. So we feel that what we do does have a bit more of a ripple effect than than just a bit of playing in the mud and a hot cup of tea. Yeah, you're definitely more than just a community organisation in name. You, you're living it completely there, which I think is fantastic. No, oh, well, thank you. It does feel like it's, um, as I said at the beginning, it's something that felt really not natural, but it was something that I had confidence in that I had the skill set to be able to do and that it was something that was really important to me personally that I could see in other people it was reflected as well 
and I do love that we you know we get a lot of feedback uh, I think our families often are like oh no here she is with the feedback forms again but at the end of each term we we do gather feedback from our families from our key stakeholders from our directors from our volunteers and that helps us then work out well actually you know what do we want to do moving forward this is a community organization yes I kind of you know, founded it, it was my idea. But actually, if we hadn't had the support of our community and there wasn't a need, we wouldn't have carried on doing it. Um, Last autumn, we were able to get a a grant from Northamptonshire Acre. And the grant meant that we could reinstate our baby club. And actually, this one was slightly different because actually this was fully subsidised for those families. They were a zero pounds ticket that they could um, that they could get. Now we'd put the tickets on sale and we'd had maybe one or two people pay kind of five pounds a session for the term to come along with their kind of tiny babies. The funding came through and we announced to our community that we now had 15 fully subsidised spaces available and within 12 hours they were snapped up by these families. So it just showed to us as well that even for that that group it's so important right now that they feel part of a community where they've got other parents, other mums, other dads who are in the depths of sleep deprivation, who want to be connected to the outside, who see the benefits and feel the benefits for them as well. But if we hadn't have got that grant and if we weren't able to make those sessions fully subsidised, we wouldn't have realised that that's still something that's really important to our community. So we need to find a way to access some grants to make that make that happen make that happen for those families i mean that's great yeah it's it's one of those those tensions that i think a lot of forest school leaders struggle with particularly ones who are going directly to parents and families because generally if you work for for a school or something else if you employed by the school well you employed by the school or if you get brought in as a freelancer you're paid by the school and you you don't tend to feel guilty by charging your full rates for a school because amalgamating a lot of money there but it's it's when you're going directly to families there's that am i am i set by setting rates that are high enough that i can live on am i excluding people from this and how can i kind of way manage that balance between providing sessions for as many people that need as possible and also in living and then Grants and funding seem to be that, seem to be able to do that. Yeah, we we do find that um, it's one of the reasons that we've been able to be so successful. Now, I I love uh, <laughs> I love the whole like grants and funding bit, um, and it's something that I also support a lot of our schools with. So, with my work as an educational visit advisor. It's one thing that I'm always talking to schools about as well. There's lots of funding available for schools when they're looking at enhancing that curriculum that happens beyond that traditional classroom. And I think this is where forest schools can complement really nicely. I think if I was talking to a room full of people that were looking at setting up a forest school, I would recommend to looking at the CIC model. I think there can often be a misconception that if you're a not-for-profit that actually you have to pay yourself below what is you know on par for our industry um 
but that's not the case. The expectation is that we're still providing a service that is on in on par and in line with a limited company that's a profit-making company. But actually, we can make things more affordable because we don't have to worry about that profit margin. The aim for us at the end of the year is to kind of be on zero. And for us, if we make anything above that zero, we donate that um, into our communities or we look at reinvesting it into um, resources or CPD. So it can work really well and particularly where as practitioners we're really interested in that holistic approach for our young people. That's where the CIC model can work really well with the balance of funding but also knowing that you can generate income as well to kind of tide you over between between those bits of funding as and when they fit of course. Yeah and it's just not worrying so much about I mean it it removes the mental stress really because you you know that it's funded with a you get those two people turning up or or full 10 or 20 that fully books a session but it's it's nice the consistency i mean that's that's one of the things that i've struggled with um my experience with funds and grants is that they are for a limited amount of time and there's it can be difficult to keep the ball rolling what's what's your experience with that so for us, it's really been about forward planning and thinking really strategically about what we want to do and when we want to do it. So when we were when we were able to secure the grant from the National Lottery, that was a grant for a project that we were on. It was a year long project and it was to make, make sure that we were able to offer sessions that um, supported different groups with our, within our community. So I think looking at the work that we do as a project works really well. Um, and grant funders, in my experience, really like to see projects as well. They have a real definite start time. They have a finish time. And it's really easy then to gain feedback based on a particular project that you do. I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned was making sure that you are including all of those kind of hidden costs associated with running a project. So I try and think about, well, if we're putting a project in and it's something that we've never done before, actually there will be hidden costs like the marketing, even the time that it takes to post on Facebook and social media the printing of the leaflets, um, also things like insurance. Do we need to have enhanced insurance for what we're doing? Actually, do we need people trained up? Um, if we're bringing on new volunteers, there'll be an associated cost with uh, traditional first aid, a first aid for mental health. If we're looking at doing um, therapeutic skills, but even important things like food hygiene, getting DBSs, safeguarding training. So just being really clear about what are those core costs that you need to be able to run that project um, from zero? If you perhaps don't need some of um, those finances for, for CPD, actually, is it that you would benefit from getting more resources? So looking at kind of whole project costs, but costing them so that you're being really realistic, that you're not inflating things too much. Because, of course, when you get grants, you need to then evidence that you are spending the money on the things that you have said. Some grant funders are kind of really picky down to the last penny, whereas others kind of say, well, actually, if you haven't spent that £90 on a first day qualification, that's absolutely fine to spend it on resources, as long as you can evidence that it's for that project. So 
So moving forward for us as an organisation, we're looking at relaunching the Baby Club as well for the spring and summer term. So that will be a project. That will be a project that will run from Easter until the summer holidays. So it'll be for a fixed amount of time, a fixed amount of sessions. So we can really accurately assess the costs associated with those for for our sessions, but also what kind of that marketing cost might look like. Um, And then what's really great is we use those as case studies. So we can then go on to say to other funding pots, well this is the project that we did with the grant from this organisation and this is the impact we were able to have so back in 2022 I tried to work out almost uh, the number of hot chocolates that we made that year I also tried to like guesstimate how many marshmallows I think we'd put on hot chocolates as well and I mean that was just a little bit of fun but actually that just really shows that we're having an impact we're doing something really positive that we're doing something that's also really fun and that people clearly really want and teamed up with that is getting that feedback from that key stakeholders being able to share it in whatever mode works for you so one of the things we've done that worked really well was actually just putting um in the school newsletter what we'd been doing as part of the outdoor club last term because we all know that kind of quite often kids get home and you say what have you done today and they say oh I didn't do anything today and the most popular bit for the kids uh, at the outdoor clubs at schools was definitely the biscuit that we give them after they've got into their waterproofs Um, after that it was making sheep uh, mini sheep out of some local sheep's wool that where the sheep graze up at the top of the village so um, yeah communication is is really key but it's about looking at those projects, being really realistic with it um, and keeping a really good way of um, managing those finances. So we're really lucky. We've got a great relationship with, with our accountants and we use the QuickBooks software. And I think if we hadn't have had that, actually the amount of time it would have cost and finances to get things sorted at the end of the year would have been a complete headache. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of accounting software myself, even though I'm, I'm, it's just me and just my expenses, occasionally paying one other, one other person here and there. I, I can't even imagine running a bigger organisation without something similar. Yeah, it's Unless so you really, really like spreadsheets. I mean, yeah, if you really like spreadsheets, I, th- I think, you know, you've probably got a bit more of a chance. But, you know, in this day and age, I think especially when you're looking um, at using grants and funding, I think you need to see accountancy software working with accountants as a real core expense. I don't think that's something that you can, um, you know, try and do completely on your own. So perhaps that would be my other bit of advice if I was in front of a room full of forest school uh, newbies is, yeah, get your accounting system sorted before you even begin, because it will save you a lot in the long run. So we've rounded out, have you got any other quick tips there for people that are looking to explore the grant and funding space? I think I would say, first of all, to look really, um, really close to home. So speak with your local councillors, speak with your local parish if you're quite rural, 
tell people what you want to do um, and make sure that you've got your structure of your organisation set up well before you even then think about applying um, for those grant and funding pots. Also pick up the phone, speak to funders, go to networking events and tell people what you're doing, uh, why you're passionate about it. People that also work um, kind of with other not-for-profits as well they're really supportive and the best thing that you can do is kind of tell people about what you're doing. I'd also recommend as well the old school business card is really important as well. I learnt that lesson the hard way going to a funding fair not having anything on me telling people about what we did so I made sure at the next one that we went to had some business cards and just gave them to ev to everybody. People are really kind, they will listen to what you do especially if you're passionate about it. Think that would be it for now <laughs> <laughs> excellent I, I think it's probably best if we if we start wrapping things up i want to be uh, respectful of your time yeah so do you have so we were kind of on the same theme this is a question that I, i've asked quite a few <laughs> guests before is um what what would be your top bit of advice for people that are coming into this kind of forest school outdoor leader space? My top bit of advice would be to find your own niche. Find the bit that brings you passion and try not to compare yourself to what others are doing. Even though I've got loads of experience, I still really suffer with imposter syndrome and kind of look at what others are doing and think, oh God, but I'm not, I'm not doing it the same way that they are. I'm, you know, I'm not doing it the pure forest school way or I'm not doing it this way. But actually finding the bit that really sings to you, that sparks that joy, that uses your skills and really lean into that. Of course, upskill wherever you can um, and enjoy the process and if you need to, there will always be people out there who are willing to help. So don't be afraid to ask for support. That's fantastic. So if people want to learn more about the Outdoor Club and, and the work that you do and all of that, uh, where's, where's the best place to, to connect? So you can find us on our website, which is www.muddytoes.co.uk. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at muddytoeslb, um, and you can find us on there. For the work that I do as an educational uh, visit advisor, you can head over to my website, which is theevccoach.co.uk, uh, where I kind of talk about the support that I give for schools um, with my educational visit hat on. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I know we could probably go on for another two hours. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. It's really lovely talking to you today and be, being able to share kind of our journey and what we do and what really brings us joy about working in the forest school and outdoor learning space. So thanks very much. So that was my interview with Emma Wood. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I know I'll be Definitely looking at my sessions in a new light and looking to build that positive community around sessions. It's not just about the children. It's about developing and supporting the parents and the wider community as well. And I think it really exemplifies that, as I said, just putting that community in the community interest company. 
As always, you can find all of the links, resources, etc. that we talked about in the show notes wherever you found this episode. And if you have any feedback, comments, suggestions, queries or suggestions for future topics, you can send them over to info at brackenoutdoors.com. With that, remember to make the most of every day and I'll catch you in the next episode.